0: Good evening, Jay family. Good to see you. Hope that you had a good afternoon and glad we can be back together tonight. Before we get into our lesson, we'll be in uh, the, the book of Haggai, by the way. If you want to go ahead and turn there, that's our minor prophet for tonight. We'll be there shortly. I uh, want to uh, remind everyone or let everybody know, you probably saw in the bulletin today, uh, if you took a look at that or maybe up on the screen, uh, the uh, Love Where You Live weekend. It's a service weekend that's coming up at the end of April. It's April 23rd and 24th. I want to tell you a little bit about it. We'll probably uh, make a bigger deal about it next Sunday morning to let everybody to kind of know what's going on, but it is a, a service weekend where on that Saturday, April 23rd, uh, and also that Sunday afternoon, April 24th, we're going to have a number of service projects. And ideally, we want everybody who's a member of JA and any of our visitors uh, to come and to be a part and to take part in at least one service project that weekend. Our Sermon that morning on the 24th will be about service and getting into the community and reaching out uh, and that sort of thing. And we want to to really, especially on Sunday, but even on Saturday, uh, to give enough time to kind of spread it out if you're busy on that Sunday afternoon. uh, To focus on service Uh, on that Sunday, we'll have a quick meal in the fellowship center uh, following that, and then we'll all head out to uh, various service projects. So I I need a little bit of help. Uh, We have probably uh eight or so areas right now that we're looking to and in, in, in conversation with people to try and see how we can help them and that sort of thing but i don't know the area as well as you do uh and i need your help you know some places that you're passionate about that you're already involved in that you know that could use some help and here's kind of what we're looking at we're looking for uh, places where they could use 10 to 15 people for two to three hours to do something Okay, 10 to 15 people, two to three hours to do something. It is good and, and fine and, and great even for us to, to help each other out. And there will be some internally focused uh, service projects. But primarily, we want this, these to be community outreach efforts, okay? People who are not associated with uh, Jefferson Avenue uh, necessarily, okay? So we've got some. Uh, we're going to do the children's home. Uh, there's a foster closet here in town that we're going to do. Uh, we've reached out to some schools, perhaps if they need us to, you know, paint a hallway or clean out a flower bed or something along those lines, those types of activities. But if you know of uh, a group, a service group, an organization, just some individuals who could use some help uh, in any number of ways, uh, we need to know that. And it may not be that we necessarily get to yours this time, but if you'll tell us about it, we'll know about it in the future. And if we do this event or a similar event, or if we're just looking for a, a service project to do, maybe the youth group or the congregation as a whole is looking for some sort of service projects, we'll have that contact information. So if you know of a place like that, and I know you do, you know of some place like that, that could use some help, 10 or 15 people for two or three hours to do something that will help our community. We want to be the best neighbor in the neighborhood. We want to be the best neighbor here in... in, Cookville. So if you uh, know about places like that, please let me know specifically. And you let Evan know, let Jesse know, let one of the Shepherds elders know, uh, and we will uh, get these things online. And hopefully next Sunday morning, the sign-up list will already be up there, and it'll kind of be a first-come, 1st first serve. We'll have a, a description of what it is, a time of when it is, and 10 or 15 spots. And once that one's signed up for, you got to sign up for a different one, okay? Uh, so that's the plan. That's the effort. Uh, this is a whole, all part of that, you know, loving God, loving others, being and making decisions disciples we're striving to to really get out into our community outside of these walls uh, and to reach out to the people in our community so we need your help because we know that you know people who uh, could use some help the book of Haggai uh, we've been going through uh, this year pretty much on Sunday nights uh, the minor prophets uh, you know the minor prophets are are full like most of the prophets uh, just because they're a little bit shorter they're not much different uh, they're full of a lot of doom and gloom they're full of a lot of, hey, you aren't living the right kind of life, Israelites. You aren't living the right kind of life, God's people. God's going to punish you. He's going to bring about bad things for you. Uh, so there's a lot of doom and gloom in, in most of the prophets and then certainly most of the minor prophets that we've looked at. We've got two left after uh, this week that we'll finish up here in the next couple of weeks. But it's interesting that the prophets and the minor prophets, even in the midst of this doom and gloom, they usually, I would say, always always provide some sort of hope. Uh, some sort of future, some sort of better times that are coming up. Uh, now, the Minor Prophets especially, and, and Haggai specifically, I, I mentioned this tonight to, to remind us why are we going through the Minor Prophets. There's some, some value here, okay? But, but they are written to specific situations, Uh, Haggai tonight is, is written to some, um, some Israelites who had been away in captivity for some time and, and now they've come back and, and their priorities are mixed up and they're not getting to work and they're not doing the things that God has told them to do. So God is, is not with them. As a matter of fact, He's against them. We'll talk about that in more details here in a minute. But what does this story, Haggai was written somewhere around 2,500 years ago. What is a story from the other side of the world written 2,500 years ago? What does it mean for us today? What are the, the What's the value in, in looking at the minor prophets and looking at the Old Testament, even looking at the New Testament, because it was 2,000 years ago. Why do we look at these things, especially the prophets, the minor prophets in particular? We can learn some lessons, just some general lessons. First of all, if we look at the things that they are doing, we can learn some things that perhaps we can hope to avoid. We can hope to avoid some of the mistakes that these Israelites made. Uh, in other instances, when, when we see them r- repent and, and turn back to God, we can certainly follow their example and we can see, okay, well, they, they were in this situation. They had made some bad decisions that had gotten them into uh, bad circumstances and, and they made a change. And, and maybe we sometimes find ourselves in bad situations, bad circumstances, and we can follow their example and change. Uh, they were able to, to find a way forward. Uh, Always, always, God is there and he's available and he shows them a way forward. And sometimes they take it and sometimes they don't. So wherever you're at today or maybe you're not there today but you've been there in the past or you, maybe you'll be there in the future when you're not where you need to be with God, God shows us in his word a way forward. And that certainly is the case with the prophet Haggai tonight. But, but maybe most importantly and, and maybe not true for every minor prophet in every circumstance, or in every circumstance that we're in, let's look for some parallels. Are there any things that are going on in the lives of these people at this time, 2,500 years ago, that might also look a little bit like some things that we're going through today? Certainly, at some points, there will be. Maybe as individuals, maybe in our families, maybe as a congregation, maybe the church worldwide, there will be some parallels that we can look to God's people of the Old Testament, the Israelites, and we can look at God's people today, the church, and we can see, well, they had these struggles, and so do we. How did they address these struggles? How can we address our struggles today? And that certainly is true of Haggai, and it's not necessarily true of Jefferson Avenue, but I do think it is true of somewhat the church and the stance of the church today we know that the church uh, jesus created and he says uh, not even hades itself will overcome it we recognize that but but we can also all recognize that that the 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 strength of the church ebbs and flows doesn't it it goes sometimes it's stronger sometimes it's weaker much like your christianity sometimes you're extremely close to god and you feel like you have a great strong faith with god and sometimes Due to whatever may be happening in your life or whatever may have happened to you in your life, you may not feel as close to God. And we read about Haggai, they they have experienced some pretty significant blessings, but they're still not where they need to be with God. Let's set the stage. The book of Haggai is is interesting because it it, it addresses and covers a very specific time period. Not just a year, not just a a number of years, but a a four-month time span. What we would call August through December, they had different names for their months and they would have been different parts of the year for them, but what we would have called August through December in the year 520 B.C. We know this, it's that specific time that, that Haggai, who who's probably more than likely an older man, maybe even a man in his 80s at this point, uh, that is, he is addressing the people of Israel. He's written this message to, and really not only written this message, but he is living this message, and then it's being recorded uh, in the book of Haggai. He's there in Jerusalem with the people, and he's saying these things to certain people and to the, the group of them as a whole, and these things are recorded for us and, and what happens in these, this four-month period. Uh, in the first few verses, we read that it's, he's writing to a guy named Zerubbabel, who's the governor of Judea. He would have been like the king, if Israel would have been its own kingdom at the time. Joshua is the high priest, and then there's this this remnant. Now throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, there's oftentimes this prophecy or this discussion of a faithful remnant. Uh, People who, despite whatever's going to happen uh, to them, they're going to remain faithful to God. And we want to be a part of that faithful remnant. That no matter what happens in the world today, no matter where religious people may go or the religious culture may go, we want to be a part of the faithful remnant. We want to be faithful to God, not to culture or to anything else. We want to be faithful ultimately to God. But that's not exactly what this remnant is talking about. Uh, The remnant is a group of people who had been in captivity And about 18 years prior to this, had been sent back by decree of King Cyrus of Persia. Now, some people like history and some people don't. So, if you don't like history, stick with me for just a minute. If you do like history, this is for you. Alright, so the Persian Empire. Well, when we think about Old Testament history, we generally don't think about the Persian Empire. We think about the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Okay, so not, not to mention dates, but this is kind of how it goes, okay? Again, God's people have been disobedient, obedient, disobedient, obedient, disobedient, obedient for for years, decades, centuries. Uh, and, and God eventually, he sends the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians take the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity. And they're into captivity for a while, and Judah is still faithful for a while. Judah is still uh, there in Jerusalem and Ju- Judea and that area. But eventually, uh, because of their unfaithfulness, God sends the Babylonians. So the Babylonians conquer the Assyrians, that, that gives them Israel, and then they also come and take captive the, the kingdom of Judah. So now they're both in captivity. The Assyrians are gone at this point, or at least greatly diminished, and the Babylonians are the big power. Well, as happens with all great empires, eventually the Babylonian empire falls, and they fall to the Persians. And King Cyrus is the, the king during this time. And about 18 years prior to what happens in these, this four-month period of Haggai, uh, they had sent back many of the Israelites from their captivity in Assyria or Babylon back to Jerusalem. And they, they took kind of a, a different uh, idea about this, this conquering or this, this conquest of foreign areas. I, at first I had said they, they were, the, the Persians were much more lenient than the Assyrians or Babylonians. I don't know that that's right. I think they just took a different approach. Uh, you know, the, remember what happened with the Babylonians and the Assyrians? They took the best of the best. They took the brightest. They took the smartest. They took anybody of the royal court, and they took them over to, uh, to Babylon and to, to Assyria. That's how we read about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those, that's how they, they got there. Well, the, the Persians took a different uh, way about ruling over people. Instead of taking their, their best and brightest, they, they would send them back you know hundreds of thousands of them they sent them back and and they didn't mind them having their own government as long as they paid tribute to the persians as long as they paid protection money as long as they any anytime that the persians needed soldiers they would send their soldiers so they they had their own government in a way but in a way they really didn't have their own government so they've been sent back the israelites these uh, Israelites who had been gone for 18 years. Some of them had been gone for as many as perhaps 70 years. Uh, so they're, they're the children of those who had originally been taken. They're sent back, and, uh, and we read about in Second Chronicles 36 and also in the book of Ezra, the first few verses of the book of Ezra, that God had caused King Cyrus, this Persian king, God had caused King Cyrus to command that God's temple be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And he sends the Jews back to do it. Now, that's interesting. We don't generally, again, think of God interacting with, with foreigners, uh, people who are not Jewish in the Old Testament. But time and time again, in various ways, he does deal with people who are not his people and brings them to, to do things that will help him. So King Cyrus makes this decree. He's the king of uh, the greatest power in the world at the time, and he makes this decree. Hey, Jews, go back to your homeland, and your God has told me, commanded me to make sure his temple is rebuilt, and I'm sending you back so that you will do that. And for 18 years, they had been there. They go back and they begin to rebuild. They begin to gather supplies. They begin to to make this plan and to put this plan into action. But we read about in Ezra chapter 4 that some adversaries hinder the progress and the rebuilding of the temple. It just sounds a lot like Nehemiah, right? Remember when Nehemiah goes back and he wants to rebuild the wall and he comes into some conflict with some some leaders there? The same thing happens here. Uh, And and there's uh, the king... Uh, of Persia he decides because he doesn't want a rebellion on his hand he stops the work on the temple but then we read in Ezra Ezra chapter 5 again that uh, Haggai who we're talking about tonight and Zechariah they prophesy in Jerusalem and the work resumes and this sets the book up of Haggai so let's read in Haggai chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Again, uh, a number of years after they had been sent back uh, to rebuild the temple, and they haven't done it yet. That's where we're at right now. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the second year of Darius, the king, of the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, uh, the, the pride priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, he says, this is what God says. This is what the Israelites are saying. The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house, my house, lies desolate? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord. And here is the the summation. If you were to think about Haggai and his message to the Israelites, he says, Consider your ways. Consider your ways. 18 years after god had used a foreign king a pagan king to send his people back to their homeland after they'd been in captivity for decades specifically for the purpose of rebuilding the temple the house of god 18 years and what do the people say in verse 2 god says the people's mindset of israel it's not time yet it's not the right time god sent them back for the specific purpose of rebuilding the temple but they made up their mind no god That's not the best idea. And for 18 years, apparently, maybe it's because of political pressure or military pressure or laziness, or we don't know exactly why, but they made up their mind it's not the right time yet. But notice again what God says in verse four. He says, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now, why is the word paneled there? Uh, Why doesn't it just say, is it time for you to live in your houses while this house lies desolate? Well, the, the... Inference here is that these aren't just—they've all had dwellings, but now they've got really nice dwellings. They've—they've really spruced them up. They have, you know, made some upgrades. They've done some remodeling to their houses. Their houses are looking nice, but God—God's house, the temple of God—lies desolate. And He says to them, "You need to consider your ways." And in verses six through eight, He tells them the consequences of their priorities. They have they've put up their priorities upon their own houses, upon their own comfort, upon their own niceties, and totally, totally neglected the house of the Lord, totally neglected their religion. Look at verses 6 through 8. You have sown much, but harvested little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And, no, and he who earns, earns wages to put in a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts consider your ways go up to the mountains bring wood and rebuild the temple that i may be pleased with it and be glorified says the lord he says listen because you have had mixed up priorities and you focused on the wrong things and you haven't done the one thing that i sent you back to do because of that it's affecting your entire life you sow you eat you drink you clothe yourself you earn but it isn't satisfying it's not enough. I love that phrase that he says, you you put money into a purse with holes in it. Have you ever felt that way? There's too much month and not enough paycheck. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever gone to pay for something and didn't have your billfold or your purse with you and you're like, "Oh no, how am I supposed to pay for this?" That's kind of how they're feeling. They're putting they're putting forth tons of effort, no doubt, into their own priorities, but it's not satisfying. It's not enough. Their lack of spiritual priority has affected every aspect of their life. Are there any parallels in our lives? Are there any things that when we fail to focus on our spiritual life, that it affects other parts of our lives? Consider your ways, he says. Why is this happening? Again, because you haven't completed the work, aren't even committed to completing it. Remember, they say the time's not right yet. They, they know it's there. They, they walk by the temple probably frequently. They recognize it's desolate. It's in ruins. It's been destroyed. The, the temple of Solomon lies in ruins. And they know it needs to be rebuilt. But they do nothing about it. Now, here in Haggai, it's talking about the temple. But could we make parallels to other things in our lives? Could we make parallels to the fact that the New Testament says that what's the temple of God today? Your body, right? We are the temple of God. And, and when we're thinking about not necessarily our, our physical body, but if we think about our spiritual lives, if we think about uh, you know that, that holy sacrifice that Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about, that our, our daily life is a living and holy sacrifice. And are, are we focusing on our spirituality? Are we focusing on our spiritual life? Are we focusing on our faith at all? Or are we failing to do that and focusing instead on other things? Could the temple today maybe not be the, the house of the Lord? Certainly not the church building, because the temple is not, the church building is not the house of the Lord. The, the church is, the people are, you are. God dwells within you with His Spirit. But could it be your commitment? Could it be your spiritual maturity? Could it be our, our, con, our uh, commission that God has told us to do to go and reach the lost? Could it be our, our efforts in our community uh, to reach those? God is not only not for them in Haggai, it says that He's against them. Notice what it says in verses 9 through 11. You look for much. But behold, it comes to little. When you bring it into your home, I blow it away. Why? Why are these things happening? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house which lies desolate. While each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew. And the earth has withheld its produce. I called for drought on the land and and on the mountains. And on the grain and on the new wine. On the oil and on the ground... Uh, produce produces on men on cattle and on all labor of your hands so again he says that that not only is is god not for them he's not apathetic towards them he's against them again if it's it's easy um it's easier to be a sunday and wednesday christian than it is to be a christian every day isn't it it's easier for us to act like Jesus when we're around each other and a lot harder for us to act like Jesus when we're not around people who think like us, who act like us, who believe the same things that we do. Their lack of commitment in Haggai, their mixed-up priorities had landed them where they were. They were a, a, a nation, a group of people who had not been blessed. And and I don't want to think about it necessarily from, from a national perspective, though, though certainly God... Uh, brings good on the just and the unjust and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We, we recognize that, that, but God also holds us accountable for our actions, that we suffer the consequences of our actions, and that's true individually and, and in every group. But what I want us to really think about is, is what, about, what about you? What about in your life? What are the most important things in your life? You know, the way that we can often measure what's most important in our lives is what we spend the most time on. What do you spend most of your time on? Again, I think we've talked about this idea before, but for many of us, we probably waste a lot of time, don't we? On our phones, TV, YouTube, things like that. Things that they're really, therefore, are for our pleasure and we enjoy them, but ultimately they don't do very much good, do they? Where are your priorities at? Where are your priorities on your spiritual relationship with God? Notice in verses 12 through 14, the results of repentance. Again, he provides a way forward. Verses 12 through 14. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the peoples, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Reverence for the Lord. They considered him important, is what that means. Verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, uh, spoke... By the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. It's, there's so many good things there, but repentance leads to God being with them. Uh, that's what uh, Haggai says. But also notice that, that God stirred the spirit of the people. Uh, again, very similar to what it says in Nehemiah, where the people had a, a mind to work. What we need to recognize and realize is that we have to make sure that we're focusing on God. And I know that we, we know that. Uh, I've I probably shared this with you before, but when I think about focusing on God, this is always what comes to my mind. I went to, to camp as a kid. I don't remember how old I was, probably 16, 17, 18 years old. Uh, and there was a skit that was done, and it was simply Focus on God. And it started out with, you know, kind of two people up there, and the, kind of the story in the skit was that one guy was a Christian, the other guy wasn't a Christian, and it was Focus on God, Focus on God, Focus on God. And so he helped, shared the gospel with him, and he said, all right, this is what you do, you focus on God, focus on God, focus on God. And then in the skit, there would be various things that would come by to distract, okay? Again, these are two guys, this is Bible camp, so there'd be a pretty girl that would come by. And instead of focus on God, it was focus on the girl, right? And he said, no, 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 focus on God, focus on God. So we had to, to, to reframe this guy every time the, the distraction would come by. There would be, a, again, a pretty girl. There would be money. There would be clothing. There would be any number of things that would come by to distract us from focusing on God. Isn't that true in your life? What does Satan use? Sometimes maybe not even bad things to distract you from God. To get you to think about anything but God. You know, you've heard it said before, something similar to this, if God can't make us, or Satan can't make us sin, he'll make us busy. Life is busy today, isn't it? There's so much stuff to do, things to handle, places to go, and people to see, and, and all of that. Where are your priorities at Today. God being with them in the book of Haggai allows them to complete the temple. You can read that in the book of Ezra, and and we can see that that God not only turns from being against them, but he turns back and he's for them again. God wants them to succeed. You read about that in Haggai chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. Tonight, what's the lesson for us? What's the lesson for us to take from an event that happened in a four-month period 2,500 years ago? Simple questions. What has God asked us to do? Maybe even more personal, what has God asked you to do as a Christian? Having the answer to that, the next question is, what are you doing? And do those two things match up? What has God asked you to do, and what are you doing? And what does that tell you about your priorities? And if your priorities are right, or if your priorities are not right, is God with us? And saying, saying nothing at all about past experiences or past efforts or uh, successes or failures of the past decades or centuries, this is the idea that the, the elders here in the ministry team are, are thinking about when we think about this idea of loving God. Loving others, being and making disciples. What are our priorities? There's lots of things that we can do. Lots of good things that we can do. But what does God say in his word are the most important things? Love God, love others, follow Jesus, and help others follow Jesus. So as a congregation, what are we doing? What has God asked us to do? And what are we doing? And what does that say about our priorities? As a Christian in your life, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go back to school tomorrow, when you go to college tomorrow, when you go uh, home with your kids tomorrow, tonight, what has God asked you to do? And what are you doing? And do you need to make a change? And if you do, God has allowed you tonight this opportunity, not so much to come forward and let us know, though you're welcome to do that if you need help, we want to be here for you as your family. But God's allowed you this moment to look into your life and to see how does my life match up with what God expects me to do? And what changes do I need to make? Let's pray. God, we come to you tonight and we are uh, your people who, who don't always follow you very well. Don't always follow you consistently, don't always follow you wholeheartedly. Uh, sometimes we're just distracted and sometimes we take our mind off of you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the the story told in the book of Haggai about your people some 2,500 years ago that had done the same thing, had taken their mind far from you uh, to places where they thought of only themselves rather than you. Lord, if that's true of our life, help us to recognize it. If that's true of a, a, a part of our life, any part of our life, help us to see that. And Lord, help us to set our priorities in a better way, to focus on you, no matter what distractions may come our way. Lord, help us to be there for each other to renew our focus and to help us to take our eyes off of things that aren't of you and to put our eyes on things that are of you, God. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the uh, the, the centuries, the decades upon decades of uh, work that people that have been a part of this group of believers have done for you. And Lord, we pray that today, here and now, and in every second that you give us, every opportunity that you provide us, They will work hard for you. Lord, we love you. You are a God worthy of following. Help us to do our best to do so. And Lord, when we fail and when we fall, help us to have the courage and the strength to stand up and try again. Thank you for your son Jesus who shows us the way and is the way and help us to follow him all the way to heaven. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Now tonight in your life, if you know that your priorities aren't where they need to be, make the change. Uh, And if you need to, to come forward and let us know those things so that we can help you in any way, we want to do that, not with any judgment at all, but recognizing I need help, you need help, we all need help. There are no perfect people in this building, but there is a perfect God who we strive to follow. And if you need help doing that or have any other needs tonight, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.